0: to Life Church Podcast
1: with Pastor David Sinclair. Hey everybody it's so good to have you here at Life Church this morning. We're gonna transition into a TMT. That's our acronym for two-ish minute training. Two-minute training. Something we're doing this next year is we're gonna be following the church calendar. And some of you may be like, oh, that sounds really traditional and boring. But we're going to try it out. We don't think it's going to be. And and here's a way to kind of open your mind about it. So Jesus came to earth, right? God's son came to earth. He entered into time. God entered into time. And when he did that through his life and death and resurrection, he redeemed time. He, He made time different. And so the church calendar is actually a way of remembering this because, guess what, the church calendar is structured around Jesus' life and death and resurrection. So that's one reason why we think it's important. It's also important because, well, we want to believe that the church is our first family, that there's this eternal family identity, and we want to practice this with the rest of the saints around the world. And so this is a way of really focusing in on that church family identity. You know, we have 4th of July and Veterans Day and Thanksgiving and other holidays, and those are great. Those are national holidays, but we want to have our Christian holidays. We want to structure our time like Christians. So we're just going to try it out. We're going to see what happens. If you're not familiar with the church calendar at all, here's a very quick primer. If you look there at the top, you'll notice it starts with Advent, and that's the anticipation of Jesus' first coming. So we look at Old Testament passages and prophecies, and we look at Jesus even inside Mary's womb. And then in Christmas, of course, that's the birth of Jesus, lasts for 12 days. And then you have a season called Epiphany. And then a season called Lent, which follows Jesus' life and walk to the cross. And then you have Easter, his resurrection. And then you have, right after that, his ascension, and it goes into Pentecost eventually, which is the celebration of the Holy Spirit, and what the Holy Spirit's doing with the church. And then there's this ordinary time where you finish stuff out. And ordinary time is like the time that we used to catch up on all the stuff that we missed. So we, all together, it kind of sort of makes sense. Well, we just hope that this blesses you. It opens your eyes to new senses of belonging to God and belonging to God's church. Corey, would you uh, read for us our scripture for the day?
0: When you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued in trusting himself to him who judges justly he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed for you were strained like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls it's the word of the lord
2: i know what you're thinking this is going to be a long sermon. Uh, we don't usually read that long of passages of scripture, but one of the things we're going to try to do this year is to read larger sections of scripture together, even at seeing it as worship, to read the scriptures. Um, I want to start this morning with a question. When you meet someone for the first time and they say, Tell me about yourself, what are the first things that come to your mind? What are the underpinnings of your personal identity? my guess is that the first things that come to your mind are those places where you really feel a sense of belonging because belonging begets identity, right? Um, I have some friends that do a fitness program called CrossFit. Anybody familiar with CrossFit? Um, And there's a joke about CrossFit people that you can't talk to a CrossFit person for more than five minutes without them telling you that they're involved in CrossFit. And for a long time, I've been like, I wish we could have sort of a CrossFit kind of Christianity where like that was the the most important thing about our life. So you just couldn't talk to a a Christian for more than five minutes without somewhere in there, Christ just bubbles out of them. They're just so passionate about Jesus. CrossFit's kind of a silly example, but I'm wondering if you can think with me for a minute here about those places where you really feel like you belong, where you really get your identity from. Would you talk about your family? You know, family's um, a big portion of our identity. It frames us in many ways. Family includes our ethnic identity. It includes um, traditions and stories, ancestors who've lived and died before us. All those kinds of things are part of our identity. Uh, Perhaps you would, if someone asked you about yourself, you'd talk about your work. You know, your work is is your primary place of identity. It's that that place where you really feel like you fit, where you belong, where you use your gifts, where you're on a common mission with other people. Therefore, it really forges your identity. Some of us would talk about our work. We can also get our identity from a slew of other places where we feel like we belong. You know, friend groups, kids, uh, clubs at school. No doubt those are big pieces of your um, identity and your sense of belonging. But we can also get it from sports teams. Anybody call themselves a a part of Packer Nation? Uh, The Vikings really don't have this, I don't think. But Gator Nation, you know, uh, you're, you're part of a group of people. You see yourself as belonging to that, right? It's part of your identity. Political parties do this. Groups that share a similar situation in life, maybe divorce recovery groups, loss and grief support groups. Um, We have a great one in the gathering well, adoption and foster care support groups. They're meaningful groups where you feel like you belong there. There's a sense of we get it. We're together, and therefore, it really forms our identity. And I just have one big question for you today. Where would belonging to Christ and his church come into that conversation for you? Would it be the first thing? Are you like a CrossFit Christian? Would it be third or fourth on your list? Would it be in your mind at all? Where is belonging to Christ in your scheme of things? I want to welcome you to this brand new series called Belong. It's this year-long series that we're doing. And no doubt, I believe God has great things planned for us as we follow the lectionary, like Nathan talked about a little bit, That these these collections of Scripture the Holy Spirit's gonna teach us lots of different things and we're really gonna trust him to feed us week by week, sort of those green pastures idea, right? Like God, the Holy Spirit's gonna feed us as we go along here, lots of different things. But kind of the overarching goal, I think, that God has for this church is that you would be confident in your identity, that you would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you belong to Christ and his people, the church. And that just wouldn't be a distant identity to you, but that would be forefront in your minds. That would be primary to you. That, like, that would be the first thing. When someone says, tell me about yourself, that'd be the first thing, the first way that you identify yourself is as, I'm a Christian. I belong to Christ. I'm part of his church. See, friends, um, it's easy as an independent, non-denominational church to kind of feel really siloed, isn't it? We're just all by ourselves in 2021, off here doing our own thing. But that's really not the truth. We have a family that's literally billions of people alive on the planet today. It's pretty awesome to think about, right? We have a family pedigree, a tree that extends back thousands of years, even into the Jewish tradition. We have a rich family history with a calendar, with celebrations, with stories. We have spiritual mothers and fathers that are numerous, who have died and gone before us. All those Christians are still part of our story. And the goal of this year is that you would see yourself as a part of that lineage, as a part of that story, that you wouldn't be just off here over by yourself, kind of an orphan living in this time and place, but that you'd see yourself as a part of the larger picture. This year is about belonging to that incredible family of Christ. And so if you're a Christian here, that's our goal. Just straight up for you this year. By the end of this year, we would love for you to see yourself and that be your primary identity, that I belong to Christ and his church. And if you're not a Christian, we want you to, to receive that identity. We want you to come into Christ's family and start belonging to Him today. So, we want our identities forged and our spiritual family enlarged. That's this series this next year. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, like Nathan said, we're going to follow the church's calendar, your family has a calendar. Right, Every family, every group, every nation has its own holidays and celebrations and traditions and practices. And the church does as well. And so we're not going to follow the American holidays, but our church family's holidays and calendar. We're going to celebrate those things. And I, too, think it's not going to be drudgery. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Secondly, we're going to use the lectionary. And the lectionary is something that the church has designed, passages of Scripture that are read at these certain seasons throughout the year, and we're going to follow them. And one of the the cool parts about doing that is that it really unites you to the rest of the church worldwide. So we're going to be studying the same text that they're studying in Nepal and Norway and Mexico, Christians around the world studying the same group of texts each week. And the preacher for that week is going to choose prayerfully one of those texts to preach on and to feed us on. And you can say with confidence that you would go to a, a church in Italy and they'd be studying the same text. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, thirdly, we're going to introduce you to lots of spiritual mothers and fathers. You're going to do some church history this year in the TMT times. Um, Nathan used to tell us at our, in our church history class at seminary that um, you think of the church like a tree, right? And when you see it, this giant tree, one of those giant you know, redwoods or whatever, it's got this massive trunk, and only a little bit of it is actually alive, right? The bark is alive, but all the part on the inside, the wood, is dead, and yet nobody would say that wood is not necessary, right? You take away the inner part, and the tree just flops over. It can't, it can't, it has no stability, it has no support, no structure to it, and the same thing is true with the church. Most of the church is dead. People that have lived and died before us, billions of people, but we're still standing on the shoulders of what they've done and believed and taught and thought. And so we need to get to know them. Um, Christine and I were talking this past week and her grandmother used to say this. She said, we need to read spiritual biographies about these Christians that have lived before us because otherwise how will we know their names in the resurrection? I thought, what, a great, what a great attitude for a grandmother to promote. Like, these are your family. You need to know their names. You're going to see them eventually. You're going to live on the earth with them. You're going to, you're going to live for trillions of years together. Might as well get to know their names now. Uh, fourthly, we're going to read lots and lots of scripture, and of course we're going to do that as we follow the lectionary, but the lectionary is kind of um, scattershot. It's going to be all over the scriptures, and so we're also going to encourage you, like John said, to read large uh, sections of scripture, so whole books at a time, and really trying to get through the whole canon too, because we want you to learn the story of your people, and the Bible is God's great rescue plan, God's great story of redemption of all things, including his people. So the more familiar you get with the whole of the story, the more familiar you get with your story. The more familiar you are with that, the more you sense that you belong, all right? And so those are some of our goals right out of the gate. Now let's spend a few minutes with our text today from First uh, Peter chapter 2, which very much speaks to this idea of belonging. And if you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles in the back. We're going to be um, jumping around in, ver- in chapter 2 a little bit. I can't cover all of it. Uh, but we're just going to look at this, this letter that Peter wrote because he's writing to some persecuted Christians here who are scattered throughout the five Roman provinces in uh, what is now modern-day Turkey. And Peter's most likely writing from Rome at the uh, time of the, emperor, uh, the rule of the emperor Nero. And if you know anything about Nero, he was cruel, he was sadistic, he was murderous, he blamed things on Christians that they did not do, and he, he you know, killed thousands of them. And so Peter's writing this letter, and Peter himself, tradition would say, would be crucified upside down. He would never get out of Rome. He died under Nero's persecution. And so he's got this really difficult letter to write to these persecuted Christians. Like, what do you say? What do you give to them in this kind of situation? Many of them facing horrific deaths that are imminent. What does Peter give to them? Well, in chapter 1, we didn't read it, but he's going to give them a living hope. Right out of the gate, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he says, look, your future, I know it looks bad right now, but your future is incredibly bright. It couldn't be any brighter. It's secure. It's in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Which is the first thing you give to people who are suffering, right? You give them hope. Peter does that. But then how are they going to know that this hope is locked up for them? Well, Peter starts hammering on their identity He says, you are God's chosen people. This is how you know that hope is secure for you. Because you belong to God. You're every bit as much God's people as the Jewish people. He doesn't want them doubting for a second their identity in the face of their circumstances. And no doubt we're not facing the same circumstances as Peter's audience was. But this will be incredibly helpful as we look to solidify calcify our identity as belonging to Christ and his church. So let's notice four things as we go throughout this text. First of all, the important metaphors Peter uses for belonging. He's he's using a brilliant technique here. Peter's mainly talking to Gentile Christians, and that can get a little confusing as you read it because there's all these Jewish terms. But what he's doing here is he's saying, look, no better way for me to tell you that you belong than to speak to you as if you are Jewish people. Like you're just as much God's people as the Jewish people, where you are the new Israel. Look what Peter says. Verse 5, his first metaphor is this metaphor of being living stones built on the cornerstone in a new spiritual house. So this metaphor that Peter's using is describing God's people as the new temple. Peter says you're like living stones, and you're built on top of the living stone, Jesus, who's also the cornerstone. And, of course, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah here who wrote about this 700 years prior when when he was saying, look, God's going to do a new thing. He's going to build a new spiritual house on his chosen cornerstone. And if you're at all familiar with construction before the industrial age, the cornerstone was an incredibly important piece of the building, right? We don't use cornerstones like they used to back then, but the cornerstone was, it had to be perfect because it was the stone that all the other stones took their guidance from, right? Um, It it was the stone that kept the building square and true. If you started with a wonky cornerstone, you're going to get a wonky building, right? If you start with a perfect cornerstone, you're going to get a perfect building. It's going to be square and true and level. And of course, we can understand this. It all rests on one stone. That's the church, right? It all rests on Jesus. He's the cornerstone. We we can't start or end anywhere else. If we build on anyone or anything else, we'll fall apart. But we build on Jesus, and that's the first metaphor that Peter uses. He says, you belong to this new temple. You're living stones in this new temple. But then he goes on, verse 9, he says, you're a chosen race. Chosen race. The Jews were God's chosen race, not the Gentiles. The Jews, they were actually forbidden to marry outside of their people because the whole, the whole deal was like, you're the chosen race. You need to keep this chosen race chosen. So no mixing of races here. And now Peter says, no. The Jews, they rejected Jesus. They were the ones in verse 8 who stumbled over Jesus as the rock of offense. And that opened up the opportunity of salvation to the Gentiles. How many of you are Jews in here? Like, that's us. You realize that's us? We had no opportunity, we had no opportunity before God opened up the opportunity for salvation for the Gentiles, for us to be, what Paul says, grafted in to this chosen race. Now, when we talk about grafting, we're usually talking about trees or skin, right? Um, and, and the idea is that you take something that's not a part of the tree or, or a patch of skin that's not a part of that particular area on the body, and you graft it in, you sow it in, or you plant this, this branch into the trunk of the tree so it can get sap and life from the trunk of the tree. And that's exactly what God did with us. He grafted us into this chosen race, this people of Israel. Verse 10 says, we were once not God's people, but now we are a people. We once hadn't received mercy, but now we have received mercy. We are a chosen race, Peter says. Verse 9, he goes on. He says he calls us a royal priesthood. This is the, the language he's, using, he's used twice um, in this passage of being a holy priesthood or a royal priesthood. And this is like saying you're the chosen of the chosen. Because remember, in the Old Testament, the, only the Levites were allowed to be priests. Only the Levites were allowed to enter the Holy of Holies and um, go into the presence of God. And now Peter's saying that occupation is open to all of you. It's open to every single one of you. Now, as God's people, we all carry with us the spirit of the living God. Um, one, of the, one of the most amazing ideas that came out of the Reformation was this idea of this, the priesthood of all believers. And we actually believe that. At Life Church, we think that's really, really important. That not just the pastor, not just the elders have the spirit of God, but every single one of you has been gifted with the Holy Spirit, and you now carry the presence of God wherever you go. You're ushering in the presence of God. Have you thought about that? Like that used to be only a very select group of people would get that privilege, and now you have that. Peter's saying, You have that. You're a royal priesthood. You offer spiritual sacrifices, perfect sacrifices, because you have Jesus who gave himself as that perfect sacrifice. He goes on. He's not finished. He's hammering on this. I told you, it's over and over again. Verse 9, he says, You're a holy nation. To be holy means to be set apart. Israel was God's holy people, set apart for good work. Remember, God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to make you a great nation, Abraham. And through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Who's that blessing? Who is that blessing that God was going to bless the whole world through? Jesus. Jesus came through Abraham's line, through the Jewish people. And now, everybody who believes in Jesus has been grafted into that people of God. And now it's the church that's the new Israel. Now, the church is that people through whom all the world's going to be blessed. Why? Because we're tasked with carrying the good news of the rescuer, Jesus, to the rest of the world. We're a holy nation set apart for an incredible purpose. And finally, verse 9, Peter says, You're a people for his own possession." And, you know, there's really two types of belonging when we talk about belonging this year. And when Peter's talking about it, there's belonging to one another, like you belong to a group of people. But there's also this personal belonging to God, a people for his own possession. that he possesses you. It's a massive piece of identity for us that we, first and foremost, before anything else, we belong to Christ, And we've talked about this here before, but question and answer number one of the Heidelberg Catechism, one of my favorite pieces of literature outside of the Bible, says, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And in many ways, Peter's getting at that with them, like, you could be thrown to wild beasts tomorrow. You could be tarred and burnt as lights around Nero's courtyard. What's your only comfort, Peter's saying, in life and in death? And I believe Peter would give them the same answer that the Catechism does, that I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own but belong, belong to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. That's what He's telling them. You belong. You're a people for His own possession. See, friends, belonging to the group of God's people is super important for us. Jesus isn't returning for us as individuals. I finally figured that out. He's coming back for His church. Right? We're pretty individualistic in America, and so we think the Bible was written for me and. I took out all the places where it says you and wrote my name. And we like to have this real individualistic approach. God's returning for his church. But there's also an important part of just understanding that I personally belong to Christ. That's what Peter's saying here as well. Let that be the strongest identity in your life, friends. Peter's saying, like, let that be the strongest word over you. Let that be the biggest determining factor. Let that be the first thing that pops into your mind when you think about yourself. That Jesus shouts his name over you, that he says to you, that person belongs to me. At the end of the day, we can summarize Peter's initial message by saying, you belong, you belong, you belong, you belong, you belong to God and to his people. And I'm just wondering, do you believe that, friends? Has that sunk in for you? You really belong to God. Has that changed anything about your life? Or are you looking for your identity elsewhere? course, Peter is getting somewhere here, and he's building towards something, making so much out of of their identity. So look at the next point. Why has God made us belong? And this one's shorter. In other words, what was God's purpose in doing this? He didn't have to open salvation to the Gentiles, but he did. Why did he do it? Well, Peter says it plainly in verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So we brought in that we might magnify our great and awesome and merciful God, that we might proclaim his excellencies, that we might be restored to our fully, our our created purpose to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Like that's what you were built for. And I got to tell you, until you realize that that's your purpose in life, you'll never really feel like you belong. You'll never really feel like you fit because most people, if we're honest, we live for ourselves, Right? For our own glory, our own reputation, our own success, our own pleasure. How many times have you heard it? one of our celebrities say, you know, I sought after pleasure and status and fame, and I got it, and I tell you what, my life's perfect. Never happens. They get wildly successful beyond their imagination, and at the end of the road, they're depressed. Why is that? It's because they weren't built for that. They were built for God. You and I were built for God to glorify him, to enjoy him forever. That's the only place you'll really find home. That's the only place you really feel like you belong. Which brings us to our third point. There's fruit in belonging. One thing you'll notice as you look back over your life is that belonging forms identity, and identity determines your behavior, Like, what you believe to be true about yourself really, really, really matters. And Peter gets that. There's real fruit that he's after in these persecuted Christians' lives. He doesn't just want to give them a little pep talk here, like, hang in there, guys. We can do this. You know, you can last a few more days or years or whatever it is. No, he, he really is after a changed life. He wants their lives to just sparkle and radiate the glory of Christ, so much so even in the midst of their awful circumstances that he's calling them to this radically different kind of life. That's why he tells them what he does in this last section and even throughout the letter. That's why he says, I want you to live as sojourners and as exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. So, no doubt these people wanted to retaliate. I mean, wouldn't you? If your loved ones were being killed? Wouldn't you want to get even? Wouldn't you want to get revenge? Peter says, no. You belong to Christ. Your conduct must mirror his. He even tells them to submit to the governing authorities. At this point, I would want to stop reading the letter, just to be honest with you. Submit to the governing authorities? Tells them to honor the emperor? Who's he talking about? It's Nero. Murderous, sadistic, awful Nero, who's, who's burning Christians for lights around his courtyard. He says, honor the emperor? What? He says, no. If you suffer for doing good, that's an opportunity to show them Christ. This kind of behavior is just so stunning to us because, as I was thinking about this week, it's just not possible in our flesh. It's just not possible. We can't do this. Like The the only kind of we, we can only get to this kind of behavior by the power of the Holy Spirit, but when we have it, Boy, is this powerful. You know, this is what brought about what we read about in Acts, that thousands were being added to their number daily. They were watching these Christians. I mean, otherworldly kind of love for their enemies. Otherworldly kind of joy and peace and poise, even in the face of certain death. And people were saying, that's got to be real. Sign me up for that. Thousands daily. And it all came back to this understanding. It was all fueled by this understanding They belong to Christ. I'm wondering how your behavior has been changed by this idea that you belong to Christ and his church. And if it hasn't been changed at all, maybe you need to ask yourself, like, where where do I see myself belonging? Where are my primary identities? Because your behavior is going to tell you a lot about where you're getting your sense of belonging. It's going to really point you to your true identities. Remember, identity determines Behavior, what you believe to be true about yourself, can't help but change you. And Peter knew this, and this is why he gives the the suffering Christians the most powerful stuff he got, but he saved the best for last. As he closes the chapter, he gives them the most powerful thing he has. As he's making his case for the persecuted believers not to retaliate against their oppressors, he, he brings out the biggest gun of all, the most powerful motivation. He reminds them what it cost their God to love them and make them belong as his people. Look at verse 21. Let's just read it again. It's beautiful. It's convicting. It's really hard to hear. I can't imagine hearing this when Peter was writing it, but he says, for to this you've been called. He's speaking about suffering for doing good because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Oh, that's awful. He committed no sin, Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like straying sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls." Friends, how? You were like sheep, Peter says. You were wandering off on the path to destruction, barreling down that path. And now you're returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. How did that happen? Was the shepherd just sitting around, waiting for you to come back on your own? No. This wasn't a passive thing. You've been returned because the shepherd himself went And got you. The shepherd himself went and laid down his life for you to bring you back in. See, friends, Jesus was cast out from his father's family so that you could be brought home. Jesus endured the isolation and the loneliness and the suffering that was meant for us so that you and I can have our welcome home party. He gave everything he had as our good shepherd To bring you back where you always belonged, in the fold of God, as his people. I don't know where this message finds you today. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you've just really struggled with feeling like you belong anywhere. I can tell you with confidence today, you belong here and you belong in God's family. You might say, Pastor Dave, how do you know that? Well, I know that because I'm looking at just how much God paid so that I can invite you with confidence. If he gave his only son, I know he wants that invitation to go forward with confidence. And if he's moving on your heart today, do not resist that. Come forward, pray, be prayed for. There's gonna be people up here to pray with you. We would love to get you started on that journey as a person in God's family, belonging to him today. You don't have to wait another day. You can belong to him today. For those of you who are Christians, the worship team's gonna come back up now. And I to just invite you to a time Of reflection with the Holy Spirit. This is not easy stuff, and as we prayed about this as a staff this morning, um, all these things that we're asking the Lord to do in this next year, we're totally dependent on God to do. So I'd ask you to just take a moment with the Holy Spirit during this last song to just say, Lord, where are my identities? Where am I getting my primary sense of belonging? What groups am I belonging to that I have really no business belonging to that? And if belonging to you and to your church is like second, third, or fourth, maybe not even on the list, what do you want me to do to get that to the number one spot? To where that's your primary, your chief identity. Brothers and sisters, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You belong to the Lord and to his people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you've done the miraculous for us. As a big group of Gentiles here today, we're just so thankful that you've made us part of your chosen people, that you've included us in your salvation plan, that we belong to you and we belong to your family. I pray, Lord, now that you would speak to us by the power of your Spirit, that you would solidify that identity in us today, and throughout this coming year. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.